Hello. The song will go on. Of course we're serious. You do? You have? Yes, just give us the movie song. Of course, we'll be totally discreet. We got one. <laughs> It's the song we'll go on. Let's start the pod. Hello and welcome to the song we'll go on. The podcast inspired by the songs, inspired by the motion pictures. Today, oh man, we tackle. One of the most recognizable, successful, and slimiest movie songs of all time. It's Ghostbusters, written by Ray Parker Jr. from the 1984 film Ghostbusters. Joining us today, she's both the Bankman and the Spangler of this group. It's our co-host Sofia Matano. What's wow. up? I don't know if I can live up to that. <laughs> yeah, by the way. That's because you're both the funniest and the smartest, in case you didn't grasp <laughs> the intricacies of your intro. Today's guest, however, part-time host of both the Losers Club podcast. And yes, that's a podcast dedicated to all things Stephen King. And also the Pod on the Pendulum podcast, which deep dives just like us, but all things horror. Also, you can find her writing in sites like Rumor, Dead Central, Daily Grindhouse, and if that's not enough, she also knows her way around a proton pack. It's Rachel Reeves. What's up, Rachel? Oh, hey, guys. I'm so excited to be here. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on. We had so much fun on the John Williams draft we did for the Gigawatts channel. We knew we wanted to record an episode with you. Rachel, I want to know more about your writing because I've been following on you on Twitter. You have such a unique voice. By the way, if you're not following Rachel on Twitter, uh, your handle is Vinyl Girl, correct? It is, yeah, G-R-R-R-L, just to make mm -hmm. things, you know, extra complicated. <laughs> yeah, but you're an absolute must-have follow, and I just love the work that you do around soundtracks, but I, I want to hear what from, from you, like, you know, talk to us a little about your work and your writing and your style, so unique. Sure, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, I love music. I love music so much, but I'm not really a musician, but I appreciate it so much. And I especially love um, horror soundtracks and film scores. I'm not exactly sure how I got into it exactly. I kind of just fell into writing about that stuff. And at first it was like, nobody wants to hear about this, right? Like I felt like so alone in kind of that <laughs> fandom. I know, yeah. But the more I got out there, I met great people like you and so many, you know, other people that we know, like David Ballantyne, these, these people... The film score community is so wonderful, and it's been so great to really write about that. I've been really privileged to find a lot of sites that, you know, support that, which is really great. And I do a lot of composer interviews, just really exploring the craft of film scoring because it just boggles my mind. I think it's such a magical craft, and I love being able to highlight those creators. That's awesome. One of my favorite from you is you started a Twitter thread. Or you just post <laughs> photos of record, vinyl record players in horror movies. It just steals. <laughs> and it's such a unique idea, but I always enjoy it. I always follow that trend. I'm like, oh, man, that's good. Oh, that's good. I, I, I don't know. It's just that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, oh, this is great. 
Oh, yeah. No, I love records. I've worked at record stores for about 15 years of my life. And so like vinyl and I don't yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things where, you know, I would always notice it like out of the corner of my eye. And yeah, just started snapping pictures. And I was thrilled to notice that there was one in Ghostbusters when I rewatched it for this uh, this episode that I had never noticed before. Oh, that, so, okay. I don't know when it, when yeah. it is. Is it in the fire yeah. station? It's at the fire station, right? When they like go down the pole right after, you know, she says, we got one. It's in the background. And I was just like, oh my gosh, yes, one more. All right, Rachel, you picked a song today. And boy, did, did you pick a heavy hitter today. <laughs> this is the 1% of most recognizable movie songs. It's in that category. It's like similar, like Gonna Fly Now from Rocky or My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. Everyone mm -hmm. knows this song. Mm -hmm. What inspired you? To go after such a heavy hitter. When you first approached me about, you know, picking a song, I was going through all these kind of, you know, like a little bit more deep cuts. I was like, okay, I could, or, you know, I could do like Dream Warriors, you know, Dawkin, or I could do like something from like Ghoulies, the Wasp song that they did. And like there's, and then I was like, wait, oh my gosh, like, why not just, you know, go hard, swing for the yeah. fences. Like it's right there. Yeah, sometimes it's just right in front of us. I mean, it's it's a goat, right? If not the goat, like arguably. And I'm just fascinated by not only the song itself, because it's obviously a banger, but also just the really kind of murky, complicated history behind it, which I think is just so fascinating. So yeah, I, that was, after I thought about it, I was like, that's it. That's what, that's what I'm going with. I'm, I'm yeah. going hard. <laughs> At first thought, we were like, what, well, what, what else can we say about Ghostbusters? I mean, it's just, the song says it all. But we were very surprised and we learned so much in the research and we cannot wait to share that with everyone. So if you think you know, you don't know, yeah. Um, this is the true story of Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> like MTV. The expose. Yeah. Well, before we get to the song, though, you know the rule. We have to get to its creator. And I'm not talking about Gozer, that malignant entity from another dimension. <laughs> I'm talking about the movie. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. Sophie. We summon thee. Bring forth your movie setup. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Ghostbusters is a 1984 supernatural comedy film directed and produced by Ivan Reitman and written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis. The film stars Aykroyd, Ramis, and Bill Murray as three parapsychologists who form a ghost-catching business in New York City to combat the growing ghost problem. They discover a gateway to another dimension that is releasing evil spirits bent on terrorizing and destroying the city. Yeah, this movie's secretly about entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurs. Yeah, just a budding you know, business. Yeah, I love a good entrepreneur. Yeah. New York's only chance of salvation is the Ghostbusters. Sigourney Weaver, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, and Ernie Hudson join the supporting cast to round out this larger-than-life story. Aykroyd first wrote Ghostbusters with the intention to co-star alongside his SNL alums, John Belushi and Eddie Murphy, which would have been well, Eddie Murphy, a pretty cool version too. Yes, no, yeah. that would be, man, Eddie Murphy and Ghostbusters would have been fantastic. Yeah. We need to go into that multiverse yeah. reality that has Eddie Murphy and Ghostbusters. <laughs> this version was set in the future and involved intergalactic ghosts, and the tone mm. erred more towards serious and scary. Would have been really curious to see the first version of yeah. that script. But following Belushi's untimely passing, Murray got involved with the project and Reitman signed on to direct following his success with Animal House and Stripes. 
Worried about the budget of filming the original space-themed concept, Reitman pitched changing the setting to New York City and injecting more humor into the story. Sometimes it's good not to have a budget. <laughs> Sometimes it's really good not to have a budget. <laughs> yeah. He brought in Ramus to achieve this tone and join the cast. In forming the characters, Ramus conceptualized his as the brains of the group, Aykroyd's as the heart, and Murray's as the mouth which I think is a really interesting way of conceptualizing these characters. Never heard it put in that way, yep. but that's awesome. Well, that comes from Ramus himself. Uh, but back to Bill Murray. Apparently, he is famous for not formally agreeing to projects until the 11th hour. He was the biggest star of the cast, so whether or not he would commit to the picture was a sink or swim moment. Columbia Pictures executive Frank Price tried to entice Murray by agreeing to fund the Razor's Edge, which was Murray's passion project. Do you guys remember that one? Uh, I've never I, seen you know, it, actually. Yeah, I haven't like, seen I've it either. Sorry, it. sorry, Bill. Haven't yeah. seen it. Uh, the short production schedule and upcoming release date meant the film was being edited while it was being shot. The heavy use of special effects required storyboarding that was particularly restricting for Reitman, who had a more loose approach in his previous films, which included a lot of improvisation from the actors. So... He made an effort to allow time for this in shooting Ghostbusters, but the strict schedule didn't always allow for must it. Have been, must be weird, like improvising, but also working on a tight schedule like that. Like, hey, we're going to take an hour here to improvise, but also stressing about we got to get things done. Like, I can't imagine. I don't know. It's weird. I can't imagine <laughs> I'd be surprised that if they got that much time, yeah. to be honest. Oh, yeah. And yeah. also with actors that are so, like, that's what they do. Like, you of think course. of Akron You're and right. Bill yeah, Murray. Yeah, like, I'm yeah, sure yeah. they're just like deviating at every turn, just right. like wrangling them back in all the time. <laughs> Ugh, nightmare. Reitman brought in Richard Edlund, a founding member of Industrial Light and Magic, though he left to create Boss Film Studio during the Ghostbusters production. Thanks <laughs> what in, a name. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks in large part to Reitman convincing Columbia and MGM to give Edlund a $5 million advance to form his own effects studio. Some of Edlund's credits include just Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, heard of just, them? yeah, <laughs> heard of it. <laughs> Both of which earned him Oscars and Poltergeist, which served as a reference for the ghosts Poltergeist. and Ghostbusters. Poltergeist, now that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edlund used a combination of practical effects, miniatures, and puppets to produce the ghosts that delighted audiences. And still do. Yes, I love, exactly. I love the ghosts in this. <laughs> and they were delighting audiences even as early as test screenings that had unfinished special effects. Uh, audiences reacted positively uh, to the film with fear and laughs and applause in all the appropriate places. Cats and dogs and rats. <laughs> uh, the same could not be said for a screening for industry members. The crowd was silent. And afterwards, an executive told Murray and Aykroyd's agent, don't worry, we all make mistakes. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, right? Like my comment just now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the real mistake, however, was underestimating this movie. Ghostbusters premiered on June 7th, 1984 in Los Angeles before its wide U.S. and Canada release the following day and opened to positive reviews from critics who generally praised the film as having more style than Brightman's previous broad comedies. So that's a bit of a backhanded compliment there, but <laughs> and also Murray's performance. During opening weekend, the film earned 13.6 million and finished number one at the box office ahead of another film that opened the same weekend. Any guesses on what film that was? I don't know. The secret I don't, yeah, of I'm not sure. or something? It was Gremlins. Oh. Oh, Gremlins. Yeah. 
And uh, it was- What a great weekend. Well- Yeah, can you imagine? And Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was also in theaters at the same time. It, that was in its third week though. Dang. Ghostbusters stayed number one for seven weeks until it surpassed Temple of Doom as the top grossing film of the summer. Dang. What a summer. And earned 229 million, making it the second highest grossing film of 1984. So 1984 wow. is a pretty monumental year for cinema because this was the first year in box office history in which four films grossed over 100 million. This was just the beginning of the Ghostbusters franchise with Ghostbusters 2 coming out in 89 and Ghostbusters 3 was unfortunately scrapped. But uh, more recently, we got the 2016 Ghostbusters spinoff directed by Paul Feig, starring Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon and Leslie Jones and Ghostbusters Afterlife in 2021, directed by Jason Reitman, which brings back Aykroyd, Murray and Hudson and paid tribute to Ramis, who passed away in 2014. Clearly, the Ghostbusters legacy lives on, and I can't wait to discuss this and the original film with both of you. And the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. Yeah, the right? <laughs> I love that cartoon. Yeah. Perfect thing we needed to just get this movie discussion going on. So, Rachel, we start with you, our guests, our tradition. What is your relationship with Ghostbusters? You know, it's so funny. It's one of those films that I don't ever remember seeing it for the first time because it's yeah. always felt, it's just, it just feels like it's always been there. Yeah. Like I just remember watching it as a kid all the time, whether it was on TV or, you know, a VHS or something. I was th also thinking about it and this might be one of the films I've seen the most in my life. Wow. Like, you know, I haven't, I haven't like kept track, but it's just, I can't even, I don't even know how many times yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's in this, that category where you... Like, you just don't count anymore. Oh, no. Yeah. But the cool thing about that is, like, I enjoy it every time. <laughs> like, I always have fun with it. I'm never bored. It's just, it's just the best. <laughs> so, how about you? What is, I'm curious, your relationship with Ghostbusters? Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself by talking about the song, but I was definitely aware of the song before I had seen the movie. I came yes, to Ghost I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I came to Ghostbusters a little bit later. I didn't watch it in elementary school or earlier on in middle school, like I think a lot of people well, yeah. our age did. Exactly. I guess also your range, that's probably the most dormant Ghostbuster franchise was ever. Mm. During that time period? Yeah, when, when you were probably discovering movies. Probably. Uh, late 90s, early 2000s, that probably might be the most... It's a it's a sleeping giant. Yeah. I I suspect though that if Belushi had been able to to be in this movie, my dad would have introduced it to me. My dad loves John Belushi. Yeah. Yeah, he was a big fan of the early SNL. We have it on I got it for him on DVD and you know, we we watch all the old sketches together. So I was very aware of John Belushi earlier on. But uh with this movie, I think I probably saw it late middle school, early high school, and I like it, but I definitely haven't seen it as many times as other folks. That's interesting. You definitely don't have that nostalgia connection to it. That Not a lot really. A people do. Yeah. Like watching this as a kid, VHS or HBO. Mm -hmm. Right. Channel surfing. Mm -hmm. Oh, my Ghostbusters on. I got to stop. I mean, that was my connection yep. to it. it I was it like, was that's just, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was just, it was always on. You always drop what you're doing and you have to watch it. But also one of the things that sort of struck me while watching it and, and sort of thinking about Ghostbusters and trying to think about this movie that's been such a staple of, of, of my life for so long, but trying to think about it in a new context. Now, given the current state of movies and how things are and so IP-driven and franchise, 
this movie really feels like a movie that would be made nowadays in terms of its approach. I, I just remember everything about Ghostbusters being so marketable, like the logo, the uniforms, yeah. the toys, totally. my neighbors, we have the proton pods. Like, it reminds me also Jurassic Park when I was a kid, th that whole like franchising ex explosion. Mm -hmm. What's very, very impressive now with all that context, given how movies evolved or, or I should say not movies, just Hollywood evolved to do that. But for like a completely original thing, it's amazing. It's amazing that they were able, this is a completely original idea. It doesn't seem like that nowadays, but that's what I, I guess that's what I was sort of telling myself. Remember, like in before 1984, there was no such thing as Ghostbusters. It wasn't adapted <laughs> from anything. It was just some person with their idea and it was so good that it spawned this world, this franchise, this, and that's really cool. And that doesn't happen a lot in, in, in movies. It just doesn't. So it's the Star Wars model changed, right. changed yeah, kind everything. Of <laughs> a very privileged group of films that have only accomplished to do that. When they do, it's it's such a big accomplishment that their success yields results throughout decades. Like we're still getting the Ghostbusters of Star Wars, but it's so hard to create that big bang that initially this film does. So that's enough right there to keep the respect for this film, appreciation for it at a maximum. But Rachel, like you said, I just, it's always funny. It's always entertaining. There's no such thing as like, I know what's going to happen with this. It's just yeah. absolutely rewatchable from start to finish. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And the effects, like I've always, every time I watch it, I'm like just so impressed at how, how cool they look. Like, yes, you know, there's some things that have aged better than others, but I'm still just the, the scope of it. Like even this time I was like, dang, you know, like Gozer's little like, palace thing that she's got i was like that's a pretty cool room like i can get down with that vibe you know so there's always something like i pick up on something different living room time. decorations idea totally yeah. and like the way the sky is and like just the setup i'm like that's a pretty dope setup there gozer like i dig it i always have a lot of affection for practical effects too yes. uh i know maybe it's just a, a is it a Product thing of, our, of, of, of millennials? Is our millennials just, we grow up with that. But I wonder if younger generations look at those effects and be like, thank God we have CGI. And here we are, mm. we, our generations, because we are accustomed to those effects and we have some affection for it. We prefer that. I, I don't know. I'm, cu I'm it's curious. It's possible. Um, but I also think that there's a realism yeah. to them that makes the characters feel more real. Like the example that we always throw out is like a Jurassic Park again. Like that dinosaur looks real as fuck. And mm -hmm. it's really scary. And when it moves, knowing that there's animatronics and people moving it, I think it gives it more life than some of the computer-generated yeah. effects. But even this movie, or you mentioned on your sunset of Gremlins, I'd rather watch those than the end sequence of Black Panther for Marvel. As much as I love that film, the end mm -hmm. sequence is just too goofy. The effects, they just go into CGI. Overload. <sighs> overload. Yeah. And I just tune out. But yeah, I, want, I wonder if, if that's just me and other younger generations are, oh, no, man, this is, I need, I need it to look crisp and clean and this is what i need i i wonder if they're also fascinated like can you imagine that this is how movie looked back then that's yeah. so weird that they like build this effing puppet i think it's 
there's some of that for sure, but I think that there's a happy medium in between. Yeah. Ghostbusters is a little bit not quite there yet with the computer generated effects. Uh, but I still think that if you're I, I, I can suspend my disbelief. It makes sense within the Ghostbusters universe. It doesn't have to look true to life. If you're listening me. and under 23, <laughs> let us know. Do you, yeah. do you have affection for these like old <laughs> VFX or do you laugh at them and think they're embarrassing? I don't know. It's funny because, you know, seeing this as a kid, I was never scared by this movie. Hmm. Like, you yeah. know, all these ghosts and everything. Like some of them are grosser than others, but like yeah. it never scared me. But what I will say is Ghostbusters 2. I was going to say that too. <laughs> like, the painting and the slime, like, oh my gosh, like the slime out of the tub, like stuck with me. Like, <laughs> I mean, probably to this day, like yeah. I think about it every time, like I like, take a it bath. It also just that, <laughs> that painting and, and the eyes and just looking at it. I mean, it made me not want to be an art collector, to be honest. I knew I saw that. I was like, <laughs> art ain't for me. I don't want some painting staring at me. Some like cursed no. painting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Were you tempted as a kid to become an art collector? Yes, and then I was. This? I was yeah. like, mom, I want to go to museums. And yeah. I saw Ghostbusters and I was like, Never, never ever mind. ever take me to a museum <laughs> yeah. i'm good here well i don't have any numbers about ghostbusters 2 but the special effects in ghostbusters 1 were very expensive uh special effects artist steve johnson sculpted slimer and that took six months and three hundred thousand dollars sheesh yeah thanks <laughs> <laughs> and the marshmallow man was designed like I mean, he looks like a combination of the Michelin Man and the Pillsbury Doughboy, which was very much on purpose. But with the Marshmallow Man, they had 18 suits. So that's a guy in a suit. Each one cost between twenty-five dollars and $30,000. So oh, times dang. that by 18, that's a number that I can't do in my head. <laughs> um, and apparently the foam that they used for that suit was toxic. Oh, that's, that makes me sad. <laughs> right. It always looks so fun. I want to be cover, like pass on the Nickelodeon slime. I don't like the slime. I want the the melted foam oh, from Ghostbusters. Yeah. Don't be on that. That looks so much <laughs> Oh, fun. no, that was not toxic. The foam of the suit was toxic. Oh, oh okay. So the actor needed. My dream is still alive. Thank you. The actor needed external air supply while inside there to not get poisoned. Oh, God. 80s movies are crazy. They're like, let's just put you in a poison suit. You're fine. <laughs> You'll be just, fine. Just breathe through the hose. <laughs> yeah. I guess back then, no unions for puppeteers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then 17 of those expensive poisonous suits got burnt during filming. So those are gone. Sounds like they hated it and put it on fire. Like, yeah. fuck these suits. Yeah. It was probably really hot in there, too. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I want to talk about something of effects that I love, but they're not the VFX. Actually, the sound effects in this movie, I absolutely love. And specifically, yes, the Proltron pack, when they turn on, the blasters, just everything. This movie is sound effects Nirvana for me. I love it so much. But my favorite has to be the Ecto-1 alarm. So this is the alarm I'm talking about, the alarm from the car. I love it. I'm sorry, I love it. It's and this is how it's used in the movie. Something strange in the neighborhood. Who you gonna call? Fuck yes. <laughs> Ghostbusters have arrived. Let's go. And that alarm is just captures. I love it. And yes, I just added this to great movie moments. Assemble. No! <laughs> 
Like the hip hop, like air horn when you go to a yeah. show. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's Rachel. like just <laughs> there to like psych you up. This is oh my god, Rachel, you just you just blew my mind. The <laughs> Ghostbuster alarm is the air horn for movies. Mm-hmm. The hip hop one is yeah. for music. This uh-huh. this should be for movies. Like just movies should now use this. Yeah, just just where, wherever you need that extra bit of you know burst of energy, just stick that in the Ghostbuster. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't stop there. I have more. He's looking at you, kid. <laughs> I see dead people. <laughs> I think I'm entitled. You want answers. You can't handle the truth. It works. I'm sorry. Yeah. This might be the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we love Ghostbusters. Obviously, we can keep talking about hours and hours about Ghostbusters, but we're really here for the song and like i said what else can be said about ghostbusters it's such a classic it's it's it holds up absolutely super fun but let's get to our main event we're gonna take a break but when we come back that's right ray parker jr answers the call patreon Every now and then we need a little support to help make the podcast go on. Patreon, support us. And in return, we'll give you all we got. And we need you now, tonight. (laughs) Seriously, though, head over to Patreon and support us. We have some really cool perks, exclusive content, and your support will help us grow so we can continue making the show. And then maybe we could afford some singing lessons. Or not sing at all. Just talk about the people who sing. Check us out at The Song Will Go On on Patreon. We're back, and yes, we are ready to put this movie song into the ghost trap once and for all. (laughs) Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. from the 1984 movie. Sophie, you know what time it is? This song is toast! Let's go! (laughs) Ghostbusters is a song written by R&B and pop artist Ray Parker Jr. as the theme to the movie of the same name. Parker started his music career in his teens as a guitarist, playing in nightclub bands in Detroit. At just 18 years old, he was playing in Stevie Wonder's band during the Rolling Stones and Stevie Wonder tour. Uh, That's insane. Can you imagine how awesome that concert must have been? How did he survive being 18 years old and being on tour with Rolling Stones? Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. uh, He's lucky to be alive. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Parker became Wonder's protege and he learned how to write songs from him. So, I mean, good learning to have. Right, (laughs) yeah. Uh, He also did session work for the likes of Martin Gaye, Chaka Khan, The Supremes, Aretha Franklin, among others. Yeah, he was he's a legend in in, in studio work. Yeah, like as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then he stepped into the limelight. He formed an R&B group called Radio stylized r-a-y-d-o i see what you did there Mm -hmm. yeah that's some good marketing their biggest hit being a woman needs love just like you do woman needs love just like you do 
Yeah, word. apparently in the documentary <laughs> they talk about that song and radio stations didn't want to play it, but women kept calling like play that song. So women <laughs> made it a hit because they were like demanding it, like no, play that song. <laughs> this so. one's for the ladies. Yeah. Uh, this was Parker's first song to hit number one on the R&B chart and also reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100. And it was ranked as the 16th biggest U.S. hit of 1981. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Spoiler, his stuff is really good. Not yeah. just Ghostbusters. <laughs> There's a lot here. Well, we're, we're going to fast forward to Ghostbusters now. Uh, fast forward to 84 and Parker has stepped back from music for a period of time to take care of his ailing parents in Detroit. He was approached by producers to write a song for Ghostbusters while he was visiting L.A. for a few days on another project. As mentioned before, the movie schedule was super tight, and by the time producers got to Parker, they were already in the mixing process on the film. So they need music stat, like they need music yesterday. And they had already been through multiple other options for the song and approached dozens of artists, but nothing was really quite right i would love to see some if some of the scrapped songs yeah, some of the scrapped songs honestly yeah. would pay yeah uh so basically they were like parker can you just cobble something together in a few days uh so he agreed to the quick project and two and a half days later he's turning out this song <laughs> uh, Sorry, that's just... Yeah, I know. <laughs> the music came quickly to the seasoned guitarist, and he recruited Martin Page to play keyboards on the song. Page was from the one-hit wonder group Q-Feel, um, the one hit being Dancing in Heaven, Orbital Bebop. Great in song. 1982. Yeah. And if you don't know that song, you obviously haven't seen the masterpiece. That is the 1985 dance film, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, starring Sarah Jessica Parker and Helen Hunt. Um, but you've probably heard other songs that he's written being We Built This City by Starship. Yeah. And mm -hmm. one of my personal favorite, These Dreams by Heart. These dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Back to Ghostbusters, the lyrics were posing a bigger challenge, however. One non-negotiable about the song was that the movie title had to be in the lyrics, and Parker just couldn't find a way to sing Ghostbusters in an organic way that didn't sound too goofy. And he, he assumed that this might be why other people were either turning down the project or it just wasn't working out with what they were doing. Luckily, he saw a commercial for a local extermination business that played late at night, right after he had completed the music. He recalled the Ghostbusters commercial in the film and then came up with the famous call and response, who are you gonna call? Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> so Parker figured out a way that he himself didn't ever have to say Ghostbusters because he got He's like, the I'm crowd. not saying that. Yeah, no, honestly, he was like, this is too goofy. I can't do it. So he got the crowd to do it for him. Uh, the song was approved and put into the iconic opening in the library and the rest is history. The only downside, <laughs> was the lawsuit. So well, that. Oh, Who that you gonna thing. call? <laughs> You're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis and the News was used as temp music for the film. And producers had shown Parker a version of the film with it included to help him write his own song. So Huey Lewis sued for plagiarism, alleging the melody was copied, mostly the bass line, and they settled for an undisclosed sum. According to Parker, this wasn't the only lawsuit at the time. Uh, he said, when you sell that many records, I think everybody wants to say they wrote the song. 
though. Shots fired. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it was a huge hit. It peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and stayed there for three weeks. The song was nominated at the 57th Academy Awards for <laughs> oh Best boy. Original Song. It's gonna come up soon. <laughs> but it lost to Stevie Wonder's I Just yeah. Called to Say I Love You from The Woman in Red. I just called to say I love you. So the student and master were facing off at this ceremony. Can uh, you imagine? That was Stevie Wonder's also first Oscar. It was. So if it would have... If your protege like stole your first Oscar, yeah. you're like, damn. Well, Parker joked that uh, if he had won the Oscar, he and Wonder probably would have never spoken again. <laughs> but uh, in seriousness, <laughs> he said it was an honor to be nominated alongside his mentor. Um, and he did beat him out for a BAFTA. So he, he got something. <laughs> Uh, the song has gone on in new iterations as the Ghostbusters franchise expands, so do remixes and covers of this classic. The theme is estimated to have added $20 million to the film's box office gross. I wonder how they estimated that. I'm not questioning. I firmly believe it. <laughs> but I just wonder how do you like estimate something like that? I'm not sure, but... No clue. They, yeah, I think at the time, like, I mean, if you think about when it was released, I'd be curious to know, like, if it was released early or, like, day mm -hmm. and date as the film, because maybe it was, like, playing and you would hear it and you'd be like, this is great. Now I want to go see the film. If they were released at the same time, maybe. That's based on, yeah, based on how quickly they were trying to finish this movie and get it out there, I... I bet they came out right at the same time because Ray Parker Jr. said that he was watching people paint the billboard when he was approached. I can't to, imagine the stress. It, it happens a lot. I hear I hear a lot of like musicians or film composers having that exact like looking at a billboard with a deadline with, yeah. their, with their deadline <laughs> with and the they're driving around being like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. So, all right. Well, I think we're ready to talk song. Let's get into it. Rachel, we got to start with you because you picked the song. Is this on your playlist all the time? I hope so. <laughs> I don't know about all the time, but I will say this. Uh, because I, you know, have made it known that I have an affinity for spooky music and especially spooky music in uh, the vinyl format. Uh, whenever Halloween comes around, I get called upon to DJ a fair amount. <laughs> and nice. if I don't bring this with me, like if I don't have this with me at all times during October. They don't call you back. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not getting paid. I'm never getting called back. The party's a flop. Like you have to play this song at always is just like a guaranteed like floor filler kind of thing you know mm -hmm. you play this and everybody knows it and from the second you just start to hear those opening things those opening spooky sounds like wow, everybody knows wow, what it is wow, wow. yeah <laughs> so it's but i i enjoy it you know i'm not like bitter about it it's not like oh i have to play ghostbusters it's like waiting for the right moment to drop it like all right this is it <laughs> you know so mm -hmm. i you know, i love this song i've heard it I don't know how many times. I can't even imagine how many times, but yeah. it's it's fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I had, as I said before, I definitely had heard the song before seeing the movie. So this was my introduction to Ghostbusters. So maybe maybe that's where they're getting that 20 million number from. I'm, I'm one yeah, of those because yeah. <laughs> it, it definitely made me want to see the movie. This, I'm embarrassed to say, was also my first introduction to Ray Parker Jr. I know it's his biggest smash hit, but I didn't really get to know his other songs really until diving into the podcast. So I'm excited yeah. to talk maybe a little bit about him as an artist 
and some of his other songs as well. I love this song. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I have an 80s playlist, which is probably the playlist I listen to the most. It's always there. I don't skip it when it comes. Yeah. Not tired of it. I've been listening for decades. Still <laughs> love it. It's... Yeah. Oh, and to that point, we've done an episode for I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. And I thought I loved that song. But yeah. having to yeah. listen to it... Yeah, six, be behind the scenes. Yeah. That's something that happens with... We do so much research on, on this. That sometimes we're like, I, I think I'm going to put this song down for a year or so. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm still listening to Ghostbusters. I could listen to Ghostbusters when we, when we yeah. end this and be happy. It, like, <laughs> if I think about the term earworm, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that term, this is the kind of thing that comes to mind because it just takes you, it possesses you. Ooh. This song possesses you. It's so good. And I honestly think this is off the top of my head. It is has to be one of the most recognizable movie songs. Like the only one I I, I think I mentioned them before on the episode, but gonna fly now by Rocky, like those horns. But this is something that we use always that term. Like your grandma knows what Ghostbusters is. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's a global thing. And what I love about this episode is putting that spotlight and like, okay, let me pay attention. Something that's been wallpaper for all my life. Let me just yeah. sit here and stare at it and mm -hmm. see what I can find. And boy, did I found so much that I love. I'm just going to start with Ray Parker Jr. Because I really want to shower him with love. <laughs> I love the way he sings this song. Yeah. His singing brings so much playfulness. And I just love how he lingers on every word. Here. An invisible man I, I, every single thing, every line, he's just like at the end, just adds that flavor to it. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, he kills it. He kills it in this song. Rachel, you talked also about something I really like, which is the intro and oh, how yeah. it's very sci-fi inspired. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought, too. I always thought, oh, man, this this sounds like such vintage sci-fi. Here's here's the intro. It just, it sets the tone so perfectly for the, for the whole film, yeah. I think. It's like, it's spooky, but not scary. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's playing yes. with like all of those kind of like, kind of cheesy horror tropes and iconography and all of that. And that's what the film is. Like, I mean, just like I said, like I was never scared of this as a kid. Like mm -hmm. it really balances that tone really well. And just those few seconds, he's able to capture that. And just set the tone for everything else that's going to come. And it just fits. It's just a perfect partner to the film itself, which I think is really incredible. Yeah, that B-movie tone that just says, like, we're here to, to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's the inspiration totally. that vintage sci-fi but also like the the you can see there the similarities on that sort of climatic and and one of the things that i notice is on the film the, the ghostbuster logo just comes at you like from afar to the screen and that's also that in b movies vintage sci-fi horror like the, the the title card just comes at you <laughs> you know and he's kind of doing that with the with the song too just those drums like it comes to you ah so good well, isn't the ghost also like coming toward you? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, and apparently, like we we're not stretching. Like, hear it from the man himself. It, his take on the intro. 
Sounds like something I heard as a kid. I just remember that meant spooky. So I said, I'm always do that. If I get a chance, I'm gonna do that. Do, 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 do. Our instinct, he did it so good, but yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so I, I love that detail about it. I mentioned the word earworm. The drums are also fun and melodical in a kind of way. Like it's not just always the same beat. Like those fails. They feel so melodical in itself too. Like everything about this, even drums are like catchy melodies to me. Yeah, this song is just absolutely made to get stuck in your head. Yes, right. That's that's exactly what I was trying to say. It's like yeah. every aspect of it is meant to be stuck in your head. It's meant to be catchy. And something like the drums, which usually could be like complimentary background, like even that is catchy. Yeah. Well, I also have a theory about why this song might be so catchy. So I'm going to quote Ray Parker Jr. really quickly. He said that phrase, who are you going to call? It's like saying what's happening or hello. It's an unbelievable thing. I don't care what country I go to on the planet Earth, even 30 years later, if you just say, who are you going to call? Everybody can answer you. And we're answering Ghostbusters. And I yeah. think that not only does this show the, the reach of the song, but I think it also says something important about the key to its success. And this song is a call and response song. Call and response is sort of like in our DNA as humans. Like there's a reason why so many kids songs are call and response, uh, because I think it's just inherently inside of us at a young age. You can find this style of song in a lot of cultures going way, way back. Um, but it's probably most worth noting that it has its roots in Africa. Enslaved Africans brought it with them wherever they went all over the globe. So uh, we see it in the Caribbean, South America, and of course, in the United States, where it influenced blues, soul, gospel, rock and roll, hip hop. Now that you say that, salsa, like a genre very popular in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. a lot of them have call and response, like, like asking like the crowd, like, Dad, you know, to say something. And yeah. Like, oh, so yeah. you're getting audience participation. And I think that that's part of what makes it so catchy because you want to respond to the song. Uh, and mm -hmm. then it just sort of cements in your brain. So I actually brought some other examples of some call and yes. responses. OK, so first up, <laughs> here's an example from Gospel. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just makes so much sense that this call and response would be used in spiritual music because it's such a unifying thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then also next up, we have a rock clip. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> God, I never thought about this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone can sing that back. Yeah, yeah. Everyone knows yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then here's the last one from hip hop. When the pimp's in the crib, ma. Drop it like oh, it's yeah. hot. Yeah. Drop it like it's hot. Drop it like it's hot. <laughs> uh, it's just such a pump up. It connects people. And even cheers at sporting games or like military drills. Like, I don't know what I've been told. You know, like it, it's just a part of us. First of this is fascinating. So I never yeah. thought about call and response in, in music or even in Ghostbusters. But yeah. one that comes to mind, but I don't even know if it qualifies given these, but uh, Queen's We Will Rock You. Yeah, Because like totally. that rhythm there becomes a call and response. Like people do that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And then well, it, it doesn't have to be uh, an actual response. Like a, a response can be music, a yeah, music yeah. riff. 
Yeah. It makes you an active participant. In Absolutely. It. And by doing that, you're more engaged in what's, you know, in the song itself because you're, yeah, you're like waiting for that moment when you can like jump in. So yeah. it's not just a listening experience. It's like a full body person, you know, personality, like everything about you is getting involved with it, not just, you know, letting it just go in your ears. For sure. And then also if we're putting our marketing caps on, everyone now knows what Ghostbusters is because it's gotten into yeah, our true. heads. We're saying it back out. Even if we haven't seen the movie, we I mean, know. But that, isn't, isn't that sort of like the goal of a jingle kind of? Yeah. And, and this song mm -hmm. comes from inspired by jingles, but mm -hmm. the jingles, that's they're a business and they're trying to put the business in your mind and kind of like, we are farmers, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's a call and kinda, response, yeah, that yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also just, I want to give props just for the groove of this song, because yes. I think that's part, like it helps assist that earworm thing. And it's something that he does so well. Like you were just talking about the drums and this and his voice and all of that. This really does just like sit in that groove so hard. Without getting repetitive, it's got a really positive forward momentum the whole way through, and it just makes it so enjoyable from start to finish. You can dance to this song. Definitely. <laughs> like, I always do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, do you want to talk about the lawsuit? Because uh, I think you wrote oh, something sure. about, about this. Sure. Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit because it's it really is fascinating. The thing about temp music that a lot of composers talk about why it can be such an influential thing is that everybody involved with the film production gets their heart set on that mm -hmm. film or, or that song, that temp song. And it influences the way something is edited. It influences the way something feels and the beats that the actual visuals have. And that's kind of what Ray Parker Jr. came up against. And to me, it's pretty remarkable. You know, he was being told like, yeah, make it sound like this, like this Huey Lewis song, but like, don't make it sound like that. But like, it has to sound like this and feel like this. Just but like an impossible task thing, sometimes. You know? An impossible task. So of course, yeah, Huey Lewis sues him. So for the listeners, I'm going to play you I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis and Ghostbusters. So yeah, yeah. The, the baseline, it's yeah. it's there. It's the baseline. Right. One of the things that frustrates me about the lawsuit is people take away Ray Parker's Jr.'s work on this song, mm -hmm. whereas that impresses me even more. That like, oh, that was your Same. reference. And then you created this whole new thing totally. based, based on that. Like you did, it gives me a behind the scenes peek of all the work that he did to create something new. Also, this is just something that happens in music just all the time. Do you guys know the band Tame Impala? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a song from then called Feels Like We're Going Backwards. Absolute banger. 2014 uh, started surfacing online. They got accused of plagiarism for this Argentinian song by Pablo Ruiz called Oceana. Here. To me, yeah. I hear that and I'm impressed two ways. One, wow, how obscure was your source, you know? 
That, like, <laughs> no, no, honestly, that because that means like you're a student of music or something. Like you did a, a lot of hard work to find right. something, a source that inspired you to use it. And also the new work that you created based on that, like the vision that you had to create something from again, it just impresses me. I don't I don't see this as a bad way. A, a famous case that went to court is this one. That's Blur Lines, Robin yeah. Thicke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were sued by Marvin's Gay's estate for Gotta Give It Up. So, yeah, to me, I hear that in the opposite with the Tame Impala example. I think you copied something that was so well popular as Marvin uh, Gaye. Like, mm-hmm. there's no, that's the thing. There's, to me, there's no work there. You're just taking something very successful and popular. Like, that doesn't communicate me. You have a vision of something. And also the work that they did, not a lot of work. It's very similar. So, so that's how I judge those things. And how this connects to Ghostbusters is just like, man, Ray Parker did one, one hell of a job. It also helps that Ghostbusters, well, I mean, in my opinion, is a better song. I'm going to go even deeper, just staying in the Ghostbuster lane. And this is how muddy things can get. I'm going to play again the Huey Lewis and Ghostbuster clip. And now I'm going to play you this. It's a 1979 song called Pop Music from M, a UK new wave synth pop group by Robin Scott. Sounds like the baseline of a new drug by Huey Lewis. Huey, you got some splaining to do. But even if, again, it's, you know, that's that's what music is. You find like inspiration and and I I would be impressed by Huey Lewis if like that's indeed like, oh, you take that bass and create something new. Like that's, man, what a a vision. What, What a great use of that. All of this is, again, just Ray Parker, Junior did one hell of a job. I think so, too. I think that he was given extremely specific instructions and had kind of a small creative space to work in. And I think it's incredible that he was able to deliver what he did. I don't I personally don't believe that plagiarism is the issue. I think it was him just like you know, having these things that he needed to achieve and he did it. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I two think it's really days. a testament. Two and a half yeah, in two and a half days. Yeah. <laughs> I think the lawsuit, the lawsuit is more Huey Lewis being mad at the producers because he rejected them. He said no. And they were yeah. like, we're going to go any, we're going to sort of kind of use your sound anyway, rather than yeah. at Ray. Um, so. Oh, totally. I, I, I think Ray just kind of got. Yeah, in you the know, middle. Mixed of up him. in it. Like it was mm-hmm. never against him. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. It was more mm-hmm. just about them using his sound. Like, oh, you couldn't, I couldn't do this project, but you just moved ahead and you like used my sound anyways. Like, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about the really great work that Ray Parker Jr. did, I found just an amazing, really fun interview in a YouTube channel, Professor of Rock. Well, here's Ray Parker Jr. talking about the really cool details that he added to the song. People think it's a simple song and most bar bands mess it up because the magic's in the guitar part. The guitar doesn't play on a downbeat like, it plays on two, rest. Then you gotta have this rhythm. Yeah. Uh, So it lands on an interesting beat. 
he is like a legendary studio guitarist. And, yeah. And that makes it's no surprise that he is playing that riff in such a cool way. And that's probably why it also adds a lot of funk to it. Because it's not going in yeah. the one, two, three, four, one, like not on the downbeat. It's like offbeat. And it just kind of like, groove. Ah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a person that understands songwriting. I mean, he learned from Stevie Wonder. Like, oh my gosh. Like, mm -hmm. this is a person that understands how no to construct a song. <laughs> yeah, no wonder, he, yeah. <laughs> no wonder he's so good at it. Like, this is a person who understands the framework and the structure of how to build a song, how to make it groove, and how to make... And he also is an incredible musician. So he is able to put in those little details that you might not realize on the surface, but once you start to dig into it, it's like, oh wait, this is actually a super well-constructed, well-written song. As a music fan, but not a musician myself, I love hearing artists break down their songs yes, and I do, point right? these things out. I yeah. Because I might not, you know, with my uneducated ear, <laughs> might not recognize that, but when he points it out and plays it in front of you, like, wow. He explains something that also really blew my mind and explains why I love this part of the song so much. But there's a, there's a part in the song, the pre-chorus changes time signatures completely. And that's also why it sounds so unique. So here. Then the other part is actually triplet time. <laughs> So it's actually a little funkier than you would yeah. think. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Again, that's stuff that I'll feel it, but I won't be yeah, able to yeah. articulate it in that way, at least in my head. So having people point it out to me, I'm like, yay, that's and, so and, cool. And lastly, this was such a great, I, again, I, I, and I love this YouTube channel, Professor Rock, but here's the last bit of him explaining some more details about his song that's pretty cool. The other thing I thought of is everything had to be military time. It had to be yeah. stiff. Mm. So the guitar is a little looser because it plays that rhythm, but everything else is and it's very Gestapo, very military, yep. very, you know, that's why, you know, I remember I used to watch Goldman Powell. So at the end, I got calm sound off. I can't hear you. Maybe yeah, you saw yeah, Jelly yeah. Goldman. So it's that march. <laughs> everything is marching. That's so cool. And this totally relates back to the call and response yeah, topic yeah. that we were talking yes, about earlier. Yes. Yeah, I never thought about it that way before, but yeah. that totally makes sense. Okay, we would be remiss if we didn't talk music video. Have either of you seen this video? Of course. Yeah. I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Same. So it good. It is an iconic 80s masterpiece. <laughs> so this video was all over MTV. Like they were playing this constantly and had I been alive at the time, I'm sure I would have been watching. <laughs> uh, but it, it they're leaning into the goofiness of Ghostbusters and into the funk of the song. But it's also they're like, it's the 80s. Like we have to <laughs> we have to have a sexy lady. Neon. <laughs> we have to have neon life. all over the place. Which I'm all life is better with neon. I'm just going to say yeah. that. <laughs> and uh, so apparently legendary record producer Clive Davis had been building Ray Parker Jr.'s career. And he was like, you're singing about ghosts. <laughs> like we, we had just built your career to be like a sexy heartthrob I mean, singing kinda, to the lady. It kind of makes sense. Like if you are not aware of Ghostbusters. Oh, no, I, I don't blame Clive in the slightest. Uh, but they convinced him it was a good move, uh, mostly because Parker was like nervous about doing the video. So he s pitched the idea to have a ton of cameos in the video. 
and to have him dance with the cast, like with the Ghostbusters. So if there's something we learn about Ray Parker Jr., he knows how to protect himself from embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Or not, maybe. I don't want to get Oscar's performance to be, to be yeah. but, <laughs> but he had a good run at least for a moment for these two not to embarrass himself. But that's yeah. a great idea. That, I mean... Yeah, and then that's how at the end of the video we get that iconic sequence of them dancing in Times Square, like in the middle of the day. Yeah, the, there's just that, all the crowd around them. That sort of march and dance. Yeah. I, I, I was doing it right here. You're not, it's, yeah. it's an audio podcast, but I was he trying was. to kind of. Um, and then the way that they got these cameos was Ivan Reitman and the producer, Joe Medjik, just kind of stopped by movie sets <laughs> and asked people to say Ghostbusters, <laughs> like oh, people gosh. that they knew. So that's how they got John Candy and George Went. Um, and he actually got in trouble for doing this for free. SAG came after him and was like, "What? Like, hey, you're union. You're not allowed to do this stuff for free. Wow. Uh, and then after that, they started trying to get music videos to to unionize. So, I mean, I guess it would it was sort of a sign of the times, 80s. Music I'm sure it booming. made so much money that we're like, wait, so you didn't get no sense from yeah, all that shit yeah. ton of money that's making? That's for Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, it sounded fun. It took five minutes to just go Ghostbusters, you know, <laughs> but but uh, I think it's just really funny how they just sort of stopped you, by, found their friends and was like, hey, Chevy Chase. Hey, Danny DeVito. <laughs> can you imagine if you were a celebrity and you recorded shouting Ghostbusters and didn't use it and you're like what did I do wrong was it so bad oh, <laughs> like, Ghostbusters. oh yeah who yeah. didn't make the cut <laughs> yeah. yeah who was on the cutting room floor of that <sighs> oh, Christopher yeah. Walken yeah <laughs> Ghostbusters like some creepy thing like that. that's a Wait, bad is that your Christopher <laughs> Walken no, yeah, yeah. yeah. I am gonna scratch that from the record yeah <laughs> I also I, I have to say I love the set decoration for this music video like yes. I <laughs> Like those neon lights and that phone that yep. like with the uh -huh. outline of like the strip lighting. Like I can I have that phone? I would love that phone. <laughs> but also the the tone of it, like when he there's a shot where he goes like he's going down the stairs and he does like a Oh, it's, it's like a, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, and he does like that SNL sketch of the creep a little bit. Like yeah. he's like the creep. He's I know like, he's like creeping after this lady. Yeah. But it's like I was so like, it's also like, a little weird. He's I know. Like if we could do it again, maybe we shouldn't have Ray Parker Jr. creeping after a lady in her neon house. But whatever. I think they like the girls. Yeah, they do like the girls. Apparently, it fits with Bill Murray's whole vibe in the whole movie. I guess absolutely. <laughs> well. Something, an interesting tidbit that I found here about the music video is, and this is on the, there's a documentary out right now called Who You Gonna Call, which does a really good job at diving into Ray Parker Jr.'s career, not just Ghostbusters, but, and that's how I learned so much about his previous work, which is really, really catchy. Like, I really... I'm just going to say, like, I thought, um, oh, he's he's a one hit wonder with Ghostbusters. Where does this come from? That, that was my interpretation of Ray Parker Jr. But I over this week doing research, I've been listening to his solo work. Yeah. And I started really thinking, like, why? Why was this guy like not a bigger hit? And then the documentary talk about this, how MTV wasn't playing music videos from black artists uh, at a certain point. Wow. And he was an early adopter of music videos. He had very catchy songs. So it looks like. He could have had a better, uh, larger career if he had some exposure. And this reminded me of one of my favorite uh, David Bowie interviews where he's actually talking about this. And with that context, revisited that interview and I was like, yikes. But here. It, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, um, I'm just floored by the fact that there's so, many so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. 
But there's a, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't used on MTV. Well, of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie or Midwest, pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing, or a string of other black faces That's and black very music. interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I don't know if that's the word I would use. <laughs> I think he was using that word instead of racist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they talked about in the documentary how the Ghostbusters music video and Michael Jackson's thriller really was the, the thing that kind of started really breaking that ceiling and, and having music videos from black artists being featured heavily on MTV mm -hmm. at prime time. And to think that the Ghostbusters music video was a part of a part of that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool Super thing. Cool. And I'm always happy when we can sneak David Bowie into any, <laughs> any episode. So you want to talk some covers? I do. I'm <laughs> going to bring you to our segment called Cover Corner. Yeah, right. <laughs> so as uh, we talked about briefly earlier, each iteration of Ghostbusters has brought in new versions of this song, uh, with one exception, but we'll get to it. With Ghostbusters 2, we have the... Run DNC remix of this song, and can we hear a little bit of that? Yeah, I I really like that version too. I do too. But that's also maybe my affection for Ghostbusters too. Like Rachel and I talk, yeah. like we really like that film. But I think it was a natural progression. Yeah, of yeah. the song. 100%. Yeah, it, it wasn't just your standard cover done by whoever's hot in 89. I can't tell you what part of the movie this plays in, but we're, we're getting to uh, 2016 Ghostbusters. And I know a lot of people have some very strong feelings about this movie, but regardless, They went all out with the soundtrack. They really did. Like the, mm -hmm. the new one did not have, uh, it had a, a score release, but did not have a soundtrack release. Versus the 2016, they... Yeah, they really pumped it full of of whatever version. Uh, there are actually two versions of this song in it. So the first comes from Fallout Boy featuring Missy Elliott. It's an interesting song. Yeah, they title it differently. I'm not afraid. It's Ghostbusters parentheses, I'm not afraid. <laughs> yeah. And also Missy Elliott Park. Yep. Now, regardless how you feel about 2016 Ghostbusters or about this song, I do have to sort of give props to just like the kookiness of movie songs. That's why we're here. Where else would we get Fall Out Boy featuring Missy Elliott? There's another one in that album. Yeah. Here, I'll play. If the strange in your neighborhood, who you gonna call? Yeah, so that's Walk the Moon, uh, just a a straight cover of Ghostbusters. Which I, that to me is way more boring than the Agreed. Fallout Boy. Like I rather, even if it's a miss, I'm more entertained by a miss than a copy paste, but just sprinkle it with some new instruments. Yeah. Like that doesn't, you know, either, either go, either go for the home run or don't, don't, don't show up too bad. <laughs> yeah. Switch it up instead of just whatever the new band is that's popular at the moment and just having them do a cover of Ghostbusters because the original is just so good. 
that when someone else does it, it just sort of seems like a gag. Rachel, I want to hear where you stand on this because you might be there like pulling your hair out. Um, and if you are, please do so. That'll be an interesting <laughs> talk. <laughs> I mean, I'm always... I always want people to make it their own. I feel the same way about remakes. Like I don't want like in movies, like I don't want a shot for shot remake, like make it your own, do something new. Mm -hmm. I want to see your artistic voice and like feel that. And so just doing a cover, it's yeah, it's 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 lazy and boring, I think, because anybody could do that. Yeah. Why did you have to pay Walk the Moon? When you could have had just like a local cover band do that, if that's all you're doing. Yeah. Like there's mm -hmm. plenty of talented musicians. Why did you have to pay that big price just to put their name on it? So, yeah, I would much in this case, not that I am a huge fan of that particular song, but I would rather have something like the Fallout Boy version than the Walk the Moon version. Well, I don't have covers. I do have some crazy shit. <laughs> I found actually I, I sent this on Discord to Rachel, but I think I might have found my new favorite version of Ghostbusters. <laughs> That is a mashup of Ghostbusters and Nine Inch Nails Closer. Wow. I just gotta say, <laughs> I like it. I'm sorry, but I like I it. I do too. Yeah. <laughs> like, shout out to 60 Songs That Explained the 90s. They were doing a Nine Inch Nail Closer and they played a little bit. And that's where I discovered that. And then I saw that mashup and I was like, I'm digging this. Guess what? I saw another mashup that I am digging. That's Beastie Boys Intergalactic yeah. with Ghostbusters. <laughs> you know, it's like that rhythm, though. Like, it just fits so perfectly. Mm -hmm. But, like, would never in a million years say that, like, oh, this was influenced by, you know, Goatbusters, Ghostbusters. Like, it just happens to, like, have the same sort of vibe. That's so funny. I love yeah. it. <laughs> it's like my example with the alarm. It just fits everywhere. Let's get it everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. Just Ghostbusters baseline everywhere. <laughs> Answerable questions. Moving on. Answerable questions. Uh, let's start with Seven Seconds in Heaven. What seven seconds from the song give you goosebumps? Rachel, you're up first. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us. Oh, yeah. So that's the first time that you kind of get that modulation and it just like kicks it up a gear. It's like you're already grooving, right? But then it's just like, oh, yeah, we're going even harder. And he's just casually like, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, you know, just like so cool. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just the energy there. It's just that extra added injection of energy that just is just so oh yeah it literally gives me goosebumps yeah. so absolutely awesome. absolutely that's a that triplet section he was talking about it just add it changes it turns the car around like at 180 and you're like whoa where are we going <laughs> this is oh my god you're I, in for a ride i was so tempted to pick this also um but i added i got another level of enjoyment out of this line because according to the the documentary that we watched on ray parker jr he is actually he's very afraid, afraid, afraid of, of the ghosts. dark. Yes. He's like very afraid of ghosts. <laughs> he believes in ghosts. He's afraid of ghosts. Yeah. And he's afraid of the dark. And it's a thing. <laughs> Liar. I mean, it, has to, it has to be a thing to make it into your documentary. 
Like your live documentary, there's a bit about how you're such afraid of the dark. So he must be really afraid of the dark. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it must be a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid of the <laughs> so I, I got to include two favorite lines, the Iron Freed No Ghost and the yeah, 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 which we touched on earlier. It's so, hilarious in the video, but it's just so good. You're such a lyrics person. You're picking seven seconds because of the lyrics part of it. I do. I just I mean, I, I had actually nearly picked the opening from the spooky to when Ray Parker Jr. starts coming in, but I had a feeling that you would pick that part, so I didn't. No, I actually picked the same oh, the same spot that you did. No this, way. That is, um, here, this is mine. A little bit early. I'm afraid oh, you got the girls' line. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I do like that, but I like um, I, I I don't like that for the lyrics. I like for. Just the way that they say it, like so playful, like I like the girls. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's so playful. That was so a very weird. good impression. No, but it's not about that. It is about, you know me, I'm a melody instrumental person. You are. And this song kind of has two bridges. Is that correct? Because mm. this technically would be what a normal bridge. This is after the second chorus, you got this, and it feels like a bridge. But then this song. I think I read this somewhere, but they wanted to add some more extended instrumental for mm. for a, like a scene in the movie where they needed the song. Mm -hmm. So then later it comes with that big instrumental section that ends with the busting makes me feel good. That's a bigger chunk. And it, which is another one I almost picked. I know. But, <laughs> but also, if you think about it, like the song kind of has two bridges. And I don't know. That's something rare. I, I can't name other songs that have that. I'm not saying it's the only one, but it's mm -hmm. not something I can like. Oh yeah, here are five examples of that. So I just love that. And and but this is my favorite part of the first bridge. It's really cool. <laughs> that moment you picked it also brings back that spooky factor. Yes, yes. yes. You know, for a while you're you're grooving and you're having fun and you're dancing, but like in that moment, it's like, oh yeah, this is spooky. Remember? Yeah. There so was like some, it brings there was... it back and brings it into the second half of the song. There was like an effect on the vocals that made it a little bit ooh. All right, moving on. Favorite lyrics. Each host shed lights on their favorite lyric. Rachel, what do you got? Oh God, these lyrics are so ridiculous. I have never like actually this is like, like which one are you gonna pick? This is which one? Yeah. yeah. I never actually like read through all of them. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> so mine, I, I picked a chunk. So it's just if you've had a dose of a freaky ghost baby, you better call Ghostbusters. Ow. And then <laughs> let me tell you something. Bustin' makes me feel yes. good. <laughs> I mean, someone even made a, a song, a whole song with just a busting when they just keep on busting, 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 busting. It's, it's like one of those things. I could just imagine Ray Parker's you like writing it and then being like, can I get away with this? And like, it's Ghostbusters. Like, I'm whatever. I'm it's you know, it's in there. Mm -hmm. I'm just putting it in there and see what happens. I want to just write in a joke about casting makes me feel good. I never found one. Casting? Podcasting. Oh. Like casting oh, makes me it. feel. Yeah. <laughs> Never found one. So what do you got? The exact same. Really? I will say Yay. that there's an mmm ahead of it. So mmm, if you've had oh. a dose of a freaky ghost, baby, <laughs> you better call Ghostbusters. Ow. <laughs> it's, and, and the delivery on it, That's too, the thing. His is delivery. so playful. Yes, yes. I have. I love this one. When he comes through your door, unless you want some more, yeah. I think you better call. Yeah. Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. What does this mean? 
Yeah. I love that. Unless you want some more. Yeah. <laughs> Very cheeky. <laughs> Has it aged well? Oh, yeah. No. Take turn or if this is unanimous. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think it's unanimous. Like, even, even for young, younger generations, like, people love this. Like, it's, it's on Stranger Things 2, season 2. Like, this yep. is part of still pop, uh, part of pop culture and not just because of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And you know what isn't? Time. I want a new drug. <laughs> yeah. Dang. Shots fired. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Huey, don't come after yeah. me. Underrated or overrated? This is a song, movie song, underrated, overrated. Uh, Rachel, I'm going to start with you. Properly rated. I mm. think this this, this this song is timeless and I think just kind of generally beloved. Like, I've never met somebody who's like, ugh, Ghostbusters song. Like, I have, except like I just don't talk to them anymore. You have? <laughs> okay. I was like, I, I just, so I. And I think that it's generally respected, too, as like one of the greatest movie songs of all time. So I'd say it's but and that I think is fair. I think properly rated. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Well said. Uh, Hall of Fame moment. Uh, We ask who or what had their best moment in pop culture in this movie or song. Can be anything, a person, a studio, a film, music, genre, anything you want. Do you guys got anything? I do. I do. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rachel, let's start with you. The Columbia Pictures Licensing Department. (laughs) (laughs) Can't deny that. Exactly. Exactly what you were talking about earlier. You know, just like all of the the stuff, the the logos, everything that they did with it. I mean, they really did look to Star Wars, I think, and see the potential like, oh, if we do this right, like there's a lot of money to be made there. And even now, I mean, okay, so last year I bought an inflatable Stay Puffed Man <laughs> for my yard for Halloween. I bought the Lego, so, the Ecto car, build it. Yeah, yeah. So still making money. So Hall of Fame, good job to you, licensing department, for <laughs> just keeping those checks coming in. What do you got, Soph? I wanted to do a shout out to Ray Parker Jr. with Hall of Fame moment for artists who love their work. Because yes. Ray Parker Jr., yes. th- there are so many jaded artists who kind of hate their claim to fame or the thing that it made them popular or the most money because they feel like it overshadows the rest of their work. And Ray Parker Jr. Mm-hmm. has so much affection for this song. And I just love that he loves it. He still performs it. He gets stopped on the street all the time with fans, especially young fans who are wearing the merch. And he just accepts all of it and yes. i think that that's really great they, they cover that in the documentary i'm so i'm so so glad you mentioned that because yeah. it just when someone's that happy about something it, it's contagious and it's like uh everyone wants to like jump in and yeah it's, right we're all celebrating something we love yeah and i do really dislike when artists try to act more cool by not liking the thing that they did that other people really like and it's just like don't like Come yeah. on. Not like, to mention, like, that's what people love you for and probably paid for everything that yeah. you own. So, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, be cool about it. Obviously, it's a Hall of Fame moment for Wright Parker Jr. Like, obviously, yeah, people know it. Uh, is it a Hall of Fame moment for music copyright lawsuits? Is this the go-to, go-to example of music plagiarism or other lawsuit? The only one I can think of, if, if it's not this, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think of. I do think it's set a big precedent for sure. And these are two like, I mean, it's a huge film. Columbia Pictures is a huge entity, huge artists. And so it was, you know, it was a pretty big deal for it to go that far. So I think that for sure it's kind of a, a what do they call it? Like a landmark 
landmark case, I would yeah, say. Yeah, for sure. In that same line, is this Hall of Fame moment for VH1 behind the music? Because <laughs> that's where uh, that, oh, right, Huey Lewis yeah. revealed, um, made some comments, Opened and that's what yeah. the counter lawsuit. And I feel like that's like the the biggest thing that VH1 behind the music revealed. <laughs> Let's move on. Remix. With today's current artist or band, who would you pick if this movie came out today to make this song? Rachel, do you have anything for us? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've got I've got three because I wow. and I had I had some standards that I set for myself because mm. I was like, okay, I kind of looked as Ray Parker Jr. as like the framework. My stipulations were the person had to be very talented musically, and they also had to have a general fun vibe. Mm. To mm-hmm. really embrace that attitude of the song in the movie and had to be a little under the mainstream radar. Oh. Because, you know, obviously Ray Parker was at this time just, you know, successful, but just maybe not a household name, right? Mm-hmm. So with those three, I came up with three different artists. Uh, the first one I came up with was Dorian Electra. I don't know Dorian uh, Electra. Yeah. So they are like an electronic artist, pop artist, kind of hyper pop. Sounds like my thing. Mm-hmm. Extremely talented, but also like very playful. Um, some of their songs are just so funny. And their video, I go down a rabbit hole with their music videos. Paula. I will. Telling yeah. you, you won't regret it. Anyways, so I really thought that they could embrace the attitude and come up with something very unique. I'm flamboyant. And then maybe on a little bit bigger scale, a little bit better known, I thought Charlie XCX could also do that. Oh, yeah. Like a very fresh, really see but that. also very, very fun. Could just have a good time with it. And then I also thought of Devonte Hines, who's uh, like Blood Orange. The oh, Rachel. Blood Orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like like Batman Begins. Rachel. <laughs> My husband does that to me all the time, like randomly. Like we'll just be driving and he'll like reach over. Rachel. <laughs> Obviously, I had that in mind, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go on. It's your pick. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I thought that he would also be really great because he's very talented, has that groove, that fun vibe and deserves more credit because I love his music and he's doing film and he's doing soundtrack. He did Queen and Slim. He did the score for Queen. And oh, Slim. really? So, I did not yes. know that. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. And I know what I'm doing when I stop recording this spot. <laughs> F, yeah. <laughs> um, so f- I have two options. One sucks, and the other one is like dream, <laughs> dream a, a dream. Okay, so I was trying to think of like who has a career similar to Ray Parker Jr.'s, and what stuck out to me was that he was doing songs more for the ladies, and then pivoted to do this kind of goofy song. So I was thinking like, who does songs for the girls? And I thought of Drake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear this version of this mm, song. No. No. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I was trying to think of like, who's doing stuff in the funk space that can like get that groove. And I thought of Duran Jones and the indications. Oh mm. my God. That's yeah. so good. I'm I am really hooked right now with their music. Yeah. 
God, my answer is gonna suck. <laughs> well, Rachel stole mine, and now you came up with what would have been my answer if I have <laughs> been more creative. I guess the only thing I would say is I was thinking, who understands the influence where this song comes from? Like Ray Par uh, Parker Jr. came from R&B, funk, soul. Who understands that or can do that? But also has a playful side of it. I guess Mark Ronson. Oh, yeah, totally. I mm -hmm. would choose him to produce yeah. the song. And yeah. He could collaborate with Bruno Mars or not. I don't care. That's not what I'm in. Uh, he, he's allowed to be in the song, the vocal. <laughs> but I'm morally interested in Mark Ronson producing. I think I think he, he knows how to have fun with his music. Yeah. WTF, a moment from the movie or song that kind of made you think it needs a second opinion or like, what the... You got any? I got a juicy one. Oh my God, it's a good oh, a one. juicy Okay. And it has to be Ray Parker's junior performance in the Oscars. Have you guys <laughs> seen this? By the way, if you, this is not a visual medium, but I am going to post this online because it's too, too much fun. But as someone who considered themselves familiar with Oscars history, no idea this existed. I'm just going to... Look, the audio is not going to make it justice, but... marimba yes it's <laughs> they basically put on what it feels like a phantom of the opera-esque like theater performance and ray parker jr performs the whole thing on top of a forklift oh and it's 10 minutes and they, these like ghosts come but they don't look like anything from the movie they look like walt disney's haunted mansion and they're all dancing and doesn't really make sense. And you, you heard the marimba, the song sounds like a cartoon yeah. version of it. And yeah. then these Ghostbusters come out halfway, but they're wearing like space, like blue uniforms. They're not wearing anything on the uniform. It's just like literally this category, WTF throughout 10 minutes. You're just standing there going like, what the fuck is going on? Maybe that's why he lost. Maybe he was going to win. And then they were like, people what saw was like, that? We cannot give the Oscar to this yeah. one. <laughs> give it to Stevie. <laughs> yeah, Stevie's right there. Yeah. <laughs> you got to oh, see wow. this. I have not seen this. I got to watch this. You, you, you've you've got to see this. Anyway, to be continued, should we revisit this movie and talk about other songs in the soundtrack? I think that's the one. No. <laughs> this isn't a one-hit wonder soundtrack. Magic by Mick Smiley. I love the use of that in the film. So good. Uh, That's original to this? That is TBD. I don't okay. know. <laughs> um, but okay. even if it's Needle Drops, this is an overall great soundtrack. And I hope it makes another appearance here. Will the song go on? Lastly, will this song go on? Will it live on and continue to be part of pop culture? Forever. 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 Yeah. Call and response. Yeah. Will it? Yes! Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, let's do some YouTube comments. So, YouTube comments, did you find anything good on this one? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Call every I, yeah. I, I only Damn. say that because it was just a lot of people either saying that the song was great or posting tributes. Uh, but we did find some nice memories in there. So, when you hear this song, you can feel the 80s spirit. 
To be honest, if the ghost of Ray Parker Jr. came in my house and started singing Ghostbusters, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Is it because yeah. the song is so catchy or is this person like really into Ray Parker Jr.? Probably both. The stash? He was rocking the stash back in the day. Yeah. All right, here's one. If this isn't the catchiest movie song ever, then I don't know what is. An absolute classic. I mean, I'll ask you both, Rachel and Sophie, can you come up like of the, I mean, I know that it's tough to think of things in the spot, but like, is there a catchier song, movie song than this that you can name here instantly? Not oh, in this man. instance. Yeah. I mean, it. Yeah. I was like, there's, there's some contenders, but I still think this might win. Right. Agreed. Here's another one that's a nice memory. This brings back memories of going to youth club discos as an <laughs> eight-year-old in 84. A song so iconic that I could take you to the very spot I danced to it. Moments like this are precious. Oh, it is precious. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, what are, wait, what are what's youth, a youth club, club discos? Disco? <laughs> 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 Clearly I didn't go to them. I didn't go to them either, either, but I did go to middle school dances. And I could tell you where I danced to certain songs, but not for positive reasons, only for like very embarrassing moments. Yeah, middle, middle school dances were tough. It's it's rough out it's, there. It is yeah. stressful, but yeah. also Ghostbusters doesn't come up on. There's some like playful songs or like usual suspects that come in those scenarios. Ghostbusters, at least not in my dances, never no. came up. No, no, no. I wish it would have. Yeah. What what would have we we all done? Like just go around and like catching people? Like oh, you're the ghost. You're the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Remember, you're eight year old. I'm not talking like your senior middle year going. School. Yeah, middle school. Like, yeah. like that. We're like, oh, you play around. Like, All drop right. the pizza. Come on, let's go catch some ghosts. Ghostbusters playing. <laughs> drop the pizza. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they would eat. They would sell pizza at the middle school dances. That's what you would. They, not a, well, they didn't feed us. Oh, mine they did. did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then you run around and barf. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, memories. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's good. It's dark. No one sees. <laughs> that's all I have. Uh, uh, that's all we got. This was really fun, Rachel. Thank you so much for, for picking this and for coming on the podcast. And it's not the first or the last time because I also, when I reached out, I asked if you wanted to cover a movie song that is dear and near to my heart which is Weird Science by Ogun Boigo which I hope that comes in the future but I hope you had a blast this was so much yeah. fun this was so much fun you are the perfect people to explore <laughs> this with and yeah it was yeah a true delight and again if you can remind people your Twitter handle yeah I'm on Instagram and Twitter it's just um, so on Twitter it's at Vinyl Girl G-R-R-R-L and on Instagram it's The Vinyl Girl um, yeah can check it out it's usually just a lot of horror movie and music talk so you know just real nerdy like some stephen king stuff thrown in there too so no, yeah. nothing but nerd stuff well, that's all you need <laughs> so thank you so much for your work on the pod as always on this episode we want to remind people that we're on instagram twitter and tiktok add the song we'll go on and we'll keep the conversation there we'll keep having fun keep posting stuff connect with us and yeah, see you on the next song. See ya. The song will go on is written, researched, and produced by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grossini. Theme music is composed by William Russell. Consulting producers are JP Lee and Jonathan Fisher. Recording, editing, and mixing by Sophie Matano and Paolo Grossini. The song will go on is a Gigawatts podcast. You can find Gigawatts on YouTube and on Instagram at gigawatts underscore YouTube.